One Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. And uh, most of you know Jason Griffin. Uh, he is here. He would be here today if he wasn't on shift as a firefighter. But uh, you probably know Jason. You may have seen Jason. He served as a as a house church leader, he served over kids' ministry here. He served most Sundays now. If he's not rescuing somebody in our city somewhere, he's sitting back at that table rescuing me and, and others. But uh, maybe you didn't know that story. Maybe you didn't know that his life, by all natural accounts, should not be where it is today. And, you know, that phrase that he said rings in my ears as he's speaking over his son, who he has adopted, Abel. He said, where would he be if I wasn't his father? Where would he be if I wasn't his father? You know, the same really could be true, uh, could be said and would be true about every single one of us, regardless of what our family situation is, I can guarantee you all of us are where we're at today because of a father. Uh, We are where we are today because of a father. Now, we are here naturally because we had a father. Uh, You know, if you don't understand how that works, see me after service. I'll give you an illustration, you know, I'll give you some diagrams and tell you how all that works. But all of us are here. I thought that was funny. It seemed funny before I said it. But uh, all of us are here because of a father. All of us are here because of a father. And, And here's what I want you to to hear today that the world needs more fathers. In fact, I want to speak to you today a message, and it's just a simple title, but that is it, that the world needs more fathers. If you take nothing away from this today, take that away. The world needs more fathers. And in fact, most of the problems in the world today that the world is grappling with and trying to solve and trying to resolve uh, can be traced back to, in one form or another, the absence of fathers. And psychologists and sociologists tell us all of the effects of fatherlessness include increased rates of depression, increased likelihood of suicide, uh, increased crime, increased poverty, all trace back to the one consistent theme through all of those things is the absence of a father. Now, I don't mean just a biological father because being a father is about a lot more than a transfer of DNA. You you can reproduce and not be a father. Being a father is actually a part of our creative capacity as Men. And and women have the creative capacity to be mothers, not just in the natural, but but spiritually. And, you know, the Bible tells us the foundation of fatherhood in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. uh, Fatherhood is not a cultural construct. It it is something that is true around the world, the, the presence of and the need for fathers. And it really is because uh, the, the issue of fatherhood is built into the creation of humankind. 
The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28, that the creation story of mankind, that God made man, and it says this, the scripture says, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Now, uh, some of us here at One Church Park District have taken that as our life verse. We've taken that as a personal commission and mandate upon ourselves. But that's really true for all of mankind. And that is the foundation of motherhood. But today, I want to focus on that as the foundation of fatherhood. To be a, a father or fatherhood is really the creative capacity that men, males, uniquely hold to reflect the nature of God. Men and women are made in the image of God. That's why every life matters. That's why regardless of what situation you were born in, regardless of the challenges around your birth, and perhaps you were a surprise to your parents, but you matter to God because you're an image bearer of God. You carry His image. But men and women, although equal as, as image bearers of God, are distinct and each men and women carry the capacity uniquely to represent and reflect the nature of God. Women carry the capacity to mother, and that is a reflection of God. But men carry the unique capacity to father, to father. And I want to say again that for those of you who are men, whether you, whether you have a, a, a natural child or not, you are called to be a father. You're called to be a father. Some of, that's doesn't seem like that would be. Some of you are like, is, does that mean I have to have kids? I'm not saying that, okay? What I'm saying is God's called all of us to, to be life-giving. To be life-giving. To not just receive life, but to give life to others. Every single one of us is called to be a father. And, and you know, in the world that we live in today, there is an obvious diminishment of the role of fatherhood. And there's a diminishment on the value of families as a whole, but all you have to do is turn on the TV and watch any sitcom or, you know, or Netflix or whatever. You'll know fathers in particular are diminished. There's kind of, start to pay attention and you'll notice that generally a father is kind of presented as this fumbling, bumbling, Homer Simpson, uh, you know, embarrassment to the family, <laughs> you know? Why? Because th there is a diminishment. Our world diminishes family. It has been true since the beginning and, and specifically diminishes fathers. Why? Because as go the fathers, so goes the family. And as go the family, so goes the future. And so God is calling us, again, if you're mothers, if you're, if you're a woman, whether you have natural children or not, the world needs more mothers, the world needs more mothers, women that, that are life-giving to others, women that impart to others spiritually and, and emotionally and, and, and caring for other people. That's the, the, the creative capacity that each one of us has as image bearers of God. But, but the world needs more fathers. The world needs more fathers. And as I said, almost every problem in the world, in one way or another, People that study it recognize it goes back to the absence of fathers. 
the absence of fathers. But here's the good news, as I mentioned before, that regardless of what family you're born into, regardless of what the natural circumstances were surrounding your natural birth, through Jesus Christ, every one of us can be born again into a new family. So you may have been born into a a broken, messed up family that, that you may feel like, I'd rather not let anybody know where I've come from. But when you come to Jesus, you are born again into a new family. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7. He speaks of this redemptive work that God has done through Jesus. He says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Listen to this, that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, that that includes men and women. He uses that term sons because in that culture, it was the son who received all of the benefits of an inheritance, specifically the firstborn son. But he's saying here that through Jesus, you have been brought in, you've been adopted, you've been brought into God's family, and because you are sons, God has sent forth His Spirit into your heart, the Spirit of His Son into your heart, crying out, Abba, Father. That word, Abba, some of you know it's the, it's the Hebrew for Daddy, it's It's this closeness, relational language. Daddy, Father God. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Here's the good news of the gospel. That regardless of what the natural circumstances and situations and nation and family and background and economic status and natural inheritance you have or don't have when you come to Christ, you have a new identity. You've been set free. You've been adopted in. You've been brought in. You were an outsider and now you've been given a seat at the table. And I'm not talking about the table of some family that, you know, that, that may have some natural wealth. I'm talking about the God of the universe that, be, that, that owns everything, that has everything, that, that is in control of everything. That's your father. That's your father. I don't know about you, but that's good news to me. I've got a great father in the natural, but regardless of how great or bad your father is in the natural, you have a new father and you have a new family. You may not want to claim it, but how many of you know you don't always get to choose your family? Come on. If you're sitting by that person, just keep looking straight ahead this morning, okay? And so I want you to understand that, that we as, as men, and specifically, I, I know I'm speaking to men on Father's Day today, but for all of us, that we are to honor and we are to reflect the role of fatherhood and the call that God has given to us as men to, to be life-giving to other people, both in the natural but also spiritually and emotionally, to impart life into others. And so today I want to look at the greatest father who's ever lived, and I'm talking about God, of course. How does God father us? If you want to be a great father, and I hope every one of us does. If you want to be a great father, we need to look at God's example. How does God father us? So I want to give you a few points today, seven 
points. I had 37, but I narrowed it down to seven. Of how God fathers us. This is very simple. I could say it in 14 words, but I won't. Uh, So here's the first. How does God father us? Number one, God begins. God begins. Let me explain what I mean. The, The Bible starts off this way. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. And in order to understand everything else that follows, you've got to understand that. In the beginning, God. Before anything else was God. Before you existed, God. And that's important because it helps us to put everything else into perspective. You see, the world doesn't orient around me. My wife's like, I've been telling you that for 17 years. And it doesn't orient around you either. It orients around God. It it existed before you and I existed in the beginning God that means this that God begins God initiates all of life God initiates all of life and then even in redemption the Bible says this that we love him in first John 4 19 we love him because he first loved us I don't know if you realize this but but maybe you remember a moment when you came to Christ do you remember you, you uh, I'm thankful I don't remember the moment in the natural that I was born. Who's glad for that? I don't remember. May 17, 1982 is a blur to me. Thank the Lord. That was my birthday. How many of you remember the day that you were born again in Christ? You came to Christ. Just put your hand up if you remember that. Now, it happens for different people in different ways. Some of us, there's a moment where suddenly it's like the lights came on. Suddenly, uh, for some of us, maybe it's a, it's a progressive journey and you find yourself waking up one day going, I want things that I didn't used to want, like going to church. I used to not, that was the last place I wanted to be. Now, suddenly I want to be there. What is that? You've been born again. You've got a new nature. And, and sometimes we talk about that as if we did it. I found Jesus. Well, yes, we found Jesus because he found us. He birthed us. He initiated us. He's come after us. That's so important for us to remember because it keeps things in perspective that before God, before you were, God was. That means this, you're not the main character of the story. You're in God's story. Now, I don't know about you, but that's that's good news to me because it takes the pressure off. God's writing the story, and he's written me in. That's that's why we use the term authority. All authority belongs to him. What does that mean? He's the author. He's written the story, and and he's brought us into the story. We were in Lakeland uh, recently, and it's where Jen and I uh, lived when we first got married, and we went back to the house that we lived in when we first got married, and we were going back over some of the moments that you know, we had in the beginning of our relationship, I remember there's a garden in downtown um, Lakeland on Lake Mirror. Some of you may know where that is. It's a garden, and we snuck in there after dark, and it was all uh, holy activities that were happening, but we, uh, except sneaking in, that was the only unholy thing, but we snuck in. And I remember we were sitting there, and I remember that's the moment where we talked about, how many kids do you think you want to have? And we talked about those things, and now we have the children And what a blessing, what a gift. But I want you to understand that uh, just as we initiate and a a father in the natural initiates a family, God initiates us. God initiates us. Fathers in the natural initiate. 
Now, obviously, it's not that we initiate everything, but, but some of you know that fathers initiate. Some of the moms are like, yeah, that's how this started. He initiated. He started. That's, that's what got us into this mess. But I want you to know, God, God begins. God initiates. Now, what does that mean for us? That means that we as fathers should initiate. We should initiate relationship. We should initiate the atmosphere in our home, initiate the atmosphere in our church. Even before many of us got here this morning, there were, there were people here, and, and men and women, of course, but setting up, preparing an atmosphere for the rest of us to come into and enjoy the atmosphere. What is that? They're, they, they are taking that role of initiating, starting, and that's what we're called to do. As men, we're called to be initiators. Again, women are too. And, and forgive me if I don't make balancing statements for everything today, but I'm speaking to, to the call of men. God begins. We are called to initiate. Number one, God begins. Number two, God blesses. God blesses. The Bible says this in the, the, the account that I spoke of earlier. In the beginning, God made man, male and fe- or made them, male and female, he made them. And it says this, then God blessed them. Then God blessed them. In other words, the first experience of humanity was to be blessed by God. What is blessing? I, I like to say it this way. Blessing is the, the verbal projection of God's goodness upon another. The verbal projection. God was saying, out of my goodness, out of the goodness and, and everything that I am, I'm not just going to make you, but I'm going to put my goodness upon you. And the Bible says, of course, that through sin and rebellion, we turned away from God's goodness. And the Bible says that a curse came under all of creation. And that is why today that there is, for those that don't know Jesus, there is this ache for blessing. There is this ache for the good life. Something has been lost. Something is missing in my life. You see this even in in children. So many times a child does something and they look immediately to their parents. Did I do good? They walk, they look at their parents. How, how am I doing? Am I okay? Am I good enough? Am I strong enough? Am I impressing you? Will you bless me? Will you bless me? Why do we encourage our children? What are we doing? We're speaking blessing over them because our God is a blesser. Our God is a blesser. God is projecting his goodness over all of creation. And so many times we struggle with the authority of God and the leadership of God because we don't understand the blessing of God. When you understand how good God is, you go, God, you're in charge. You're in charge. There is an ache for blessing within the life of every person. Why? Because we're made for blessing. We were born for blessing. We were born for God's goodness to mark our lives So many people in the absence of God's blessing upon their lives look for that, look for affirmation, look for encouragement in so many places. And of course, we should be encouraging, we should be blessing one another. But ultimately, even if nobody else blesses you, God blesses you. God loves you. I heard the story of Pete Rose, a baseball player, record-breaking baseball player in the 1980s when he broke the, uh, the record for the most hits in Major League Baseball. And 
if you know the story, you know he, he hit the ball. The crowd went wild. I mean, thousands, tens of thousands of people just cheering him, you know, yelling his name, giving him accolades. And after the game, a reporter said, when you heard the crack of the bats, when you knew you broke the record, what was the first thought that came to your mind? And Pete Rose said this, the first thought that came to my mind is, what would my dad think? What would my dad think? His dad had passed away years earlier, but what was he saying? I'm longing to be blessed. I just, uh, thousands of people, tens of thousands of people are cheering my name, but I want to hear my dad say, good job, Pete. Good job. What is that? It's within every man and woman, there's a longing to be blessed. God blesses us. Therefore, we should be a blessing. Let me encourage you men, your, your words carry weight. And of course, we, the Bible says that if you're able to tame the tongue, you're a perfect man. And so we all struggle with our words. But I want to encourage you today as a father, as a man, your words carry weight. Through your words, you have the ability to impart life into other people. You have the, the ability to impart destiny and calling and purpose into people. That's why our words are so important. That's why we should speak blessing over our children. I remember when I was a kid, one of my fondest memories was every night at bedtime, my dad would bless us. He'd put his hands on our head. I bless you. He'd speak blessing. He'd grab our hands and his our face in his hands, and he'd he'd grab us. And as a kid, I'm like, this is this is kind of awkward, Dad. But he just held it until the blessing started sinking in. And over time, it became not this is kind of awkward. It became before I go to bed, Dad, you forgot to bless me. You forgot to bless me. Dad, would you, would you put your hand on me and speak over me? And sometimes we'd wake up in the middle of the night. My dad would be praying over us. I bless you. I, I pray God's goodness over your life. Men, bless your children. Bless your wives. Speak the goodness of God. Your words carry weight. Use your words to bless, not to break. Not to break. So number one, God births. Number two, God blesses. Number three, God provides. God provides. Out of God's goodness and out of His desire to bless His children, He gives us abundantly. He provides. The Bible says it this way in Matthew 7, verse 11. If you then being evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask? Give good things. The, the book of Luke says it this way. How much more will he give the Holy Spirit? God is a giver. Even as in church, when we give, whether it's through tithes or offerings, or even as, as you guys did so incredibly generous giving towards our Vision Builders initiative and continue to do so, why do we do that? Ultimately, we don't do it because the church has a need. We do it because our God is a giver. Yeah. Our God is a giver. And the gospel does something when it gets into your heart. It, it, it affects your wallet. It affects your life, it affects your home, it affects how you use your stuff because you recognize this isn't my car, this is God's car on loan to me. So you need a ride? Well, I'm getting a ride in God's car, you should get in too, right? What, what is that? God's provision, God's provision. And I, I want to commend 
you incredible men in this church and women as well. I know women provide and financially, you know, I believe women can work and earn and it's okay for women to earn more money even than men. But ultimately, the, the responsibility biblically uh, for provision rests upon uh, a father. It's not okay for a father to just uh, stay at home and watch TV and, you know, send somebody else out to work. It's our responsibility. Why? Because God's a provider. God's a provider. And I, I want to commend you for being such incredible providers. Uh, the men in this church, I mean, business owners, entrepreneurs, hustlers in the right way, <laughs> working hard uh, to provide. But, but I want to encourage you with this. Uh, don't just provide financially, provide spiritually. Provide spiritually. We, uh, I hope that we'll all leave an inheritance for our children. As the Bible says, a, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. But more valuable than money is a spiritual inheritance. What are you passing on in the spirit? Are you passing on a, a legacy of peace and joy and testimonies of God's faithfulness? The greatest inheritance that I've received from my grandfathers that are with the Lord now is not some money that is here today, gone tomorrow. The greatest inheritance that I've received is the stories of what God did in their life. They've imparted their faith to me. Don't just be a spiritual, don't just be a financial provider. Be a spiritual provider. Lead your family in spiritual things. You may feel inadequate. Let me tell you this, families and kids don't want perfection. They just want authenticity. You don't have to preach a sermon. You could just open the Bible and read. That's a good way to lead your family. Just pass on. Let your kids see you pray. Let your kids see you repent when you mess up. That's a great way to demonstrate the gospel. Hey, kids, I got to tell you, dad messed up. I'm sorry. What are we doing? We're providing spiritually. History tells us the, the, the story of the tale of two men that lived about the same time, very different circumstances in their lives, and dramatically different outcomes for their lives. The first was Jonathan Edwards, which maybe you're familiar with, the author and preacher of Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. But he was also a leader in a revival movement and the, the president of Princeton University, and he had 11 children. If you feel like you're busy president of Princeton and 11 kids, okay? And every day at the end of the day, he would spend an hour with his kids praying for them, blessing them, speaking into their lives. And 150 years later, there was a study done of what was the outcome of his lineage and his legacy imparted to his family. Where were they now? Where were they now? And here's what this researcher found that from Jonathan Edwards' family, from those 11 children, came one U.S. vice president, one dean of a law school, one dean of a medical school, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 60 doctors, 65 professors, 75 military officers, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, 100 clergymen, and 285 college graduates. Maybe that hour was his best spent <laughs> imparting into his family. But they contrast this, and you can look it up online, with a guy named Max Jukes that lived at the same time as Jonathan Edwards in New York. 
And Max Jukes wasn't really well known and still isn't well known today, but he came, uh, became notorious uh, about 150 years after he lived because there was, uh, they, they found in the New York State prison system that there was 49 inmates that, that were all related and traced their, their, their history back to this man, Max Jukes. Max Jukes was a, a, a criminal, but listen to what came out of Max's life. Seven murders, 60, 60 thieves, 190 prostitutes, 150 other convicts, 310 paupers, 440 who were physically wrecked by addiction to alcohol. Of the 1,200 descendants that were studied, 300 died prematurely. Uh, and the reason I say that to you, and forgive me if your last name is Jukes, I'm sure you can redeem that name, uh, but the reason I say that to you is I want you to understand that you are providing a legacy for your children and your children's children, and if the Lord tarries, your children's 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 children. And out of even this contrast, there is a study or a school of thought that says this, you only see the impact of your parenting five generations later, which hopefully will give us some encouragement if you're going through a hard time now. But I want you to see, not only does God begin and God bless, God provides God provides. He gives us good things. The fourth thing I want you to see is that God guides. God guides. The Bible says this in Romans 8, 29, that whom he foreknew, he also predestined. He predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, oftentimes we hear that word predestined, and some of us go, I don't really believe in that. That means that I'm a robot. I'm predestined. My life. I'm just kind of, you know, the result of, uh, of cosmic you know, circumstances beyond my control. The Bible doesn't teach us that, that we are, are robots, but it does teach us this. The doctrine of predestination is this, that God has a destination for your life. God has a destination for your life. It says this, whom he foreknew, he has also predestined. So I don't know where you're at today, but here's what I want you to hear there's a destination for your life. You're not, the, you're not the result of just the circumstances and the winds of life that blow and the difficulties. God has a plan, has a purpose, has a destiny upon your life. You've been predestined by God. And he tells us what that is. His destination is that you will be conformed to the image of his son. Which begs the question, are we there yet? No. Are we there yet? No, we're not there yet. But one day we will get there. The Bible says this, that when we see him, we will be like him. And if you're not like him yet, it's because he's not done. But he's going to bring you all the way through. And that's good news because we face unexpected challenges in life. But God has a destiny and a purpose in mind for us. And likewise, we as, as men, as fathers, we should be destiny builders in the life of other people. We should be imparting destiny and purpose. We should be speaking into God's plan, God's purpose. When someone comes to Christ, they get a new destiny. They, they, they have a, a great destination ahead of them. This, this week, Jen and I were coming back from Minnesota in, on vacation visiting her family. We're flying into Orlando, and as we were approaching Orlando, suddenly the plane took a, a hard right turn. 
And I thought, what in the world's going on? We're coming in for a fast landing. And a couple minutes later, the pilot came on, and he said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you may have noticed a moment ago, we took this, you know, sharp right, and he said, let me tell you what's happening. There's a storm over Orlando, if you, Thursday, Wednesday afternoon, was there a storm? Yeah, maybe. Um, so there, there's a storm, and uh, he said, but, but here's the good news. We're still going to arrive at our destination. We're still... He didn't say, ladies and gentlemen, there's a storm that's come up, and I'm sorry, but I don't know where we're going to land. <laughs> the voice didn't come up and say, ladies and gentlemen, this is Steve from seat 13B, and uh, I've taken control of this vehicle. It didn't come. That's not what happened. What came on is, is the pilot said this, ladies and gentlemen, there, there's a slight redirection. There's a slight delay, but I'm still going to get you to your destination. And I'm trying to preach it to you today that if you've got a delay, God has not abandoned the destiny over your life. God is working all things together for the good of those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. God is working together. He's, he has a destiny Likewise, we as fathers should be guiding our children according to a destiny. And again, not just natural children. But what I'm, what I'm saying is like God begins with the end in mind. We should begin with our children. Begin your life as a father with the end in mind. In other words, you don't leave it up to them to determine where they're going to land. They have some responsibility and they have the decision whether they're going to stay on board or jump out. But you can say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. What am I talking about? What's the destiny? Paul already told us. But ultimately, it's the kingdom of God. More important than what college they go to. More important than what career field that they find themselves into. Our number one goal is that they would arrive in the kingdom of God. And don't, yes, they have to make a decision, but that's what these parents were doing this morning. They're bringing their children. They're saying, we're guiding them. We're guiding them. We need to, as parents, guide our children. Why? Because God guides us. God guides us. Don't abdicate authority. Don't let Steve from 14B fly the plane. You with me? Okay. All right. Number five, not only does God begin and God bless, not only does God provide and guide, but God trains. God trains. Listen to what the book of Hebrews chapter 12 says. Verse 5 says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Now, I, I know we hear that, scourge. That sounds, that sounds painful. That sounds that doesn't sound fun. If we said, stay around after service, we've got a special scourging going on. I don't think the turnout would be very good for that. But the Bible says here that God scourges every son whom he receives. In other words, he loves you enough to not leave you the way you are. He loves you enough to not leave you the way you are. And listen to what the Bible says. No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. But painful, nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Everybody say afterwards. 
afterwards, in the present, it's painful, but afterwards, it's producing something good in your life. Most of us have been alive long enough to know that most of the things that were the hardest when we were going through them became the best afterwards. Why? Because they're producing something good in us. Now, let me say this. God never punishes you. God doesn't punish you. He has punished Jesus on the cross. He will never punish you, but he does train you. And sometimes when you're getting trained, it feels like being punished. Anybody ever been to a trainer? It hurts. It doesn't feel good. Nate and Steph, I'm going to give you all a shout out because somebody needs to give you some credit. You guys have been training. Hammer time with Matt and Sarah Hammer. Now it doesn't feel good, which is why I've not been there. It doesn't feel good in the moment, but how many of you know it, the, the, what it produces is good? What it produces is good. And God will allow things to come into our lives that sometimes may feel like it hurts. But it's not because He doesn't love us. It's because He loves us. He's perfecting us. He's teaching us. He's training us. He's bringing you into the person who can fulfill the destiny that He has for your life. He brings you out of Egypt, but He's still got to get the Egypt out of you. How many of you know what I'm saying? There's some things that are being worked out in my life right now. I'm not perfect yet. God will not give up on us. He continues to train us. It doesn't always feel good when you're in the, the school of training. It doesn't feel good. You want to get out of it. But it's in hindsight. You look back and you say, wow, God, thank you. You are, you are making me more patient. You were teaching me to be joyful. You don't become joyful when all of life is easy. You become joyful when you go through some circumstances that are difficult, but it produces a deep and abundant and abiding joy through the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. God loves us enough to not always give us what we want. Anybody ever prayed a prayer and a decade later you say, God, thank you for not answering that prayer? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, you, you pray a prayer, you think you want it. And then in hindsight, you go, God, thank you, you did not answer that prayer. That's like the kids that want to eat ice cream all the time. If I gave my kids, not Andrews, he's, he's mature enough, he's trained enough. I, I came home yesterday, I saw that man out there mowing the grass. I said, come on, that's the fruit of my labor. <laughs> he's a man. But Clara, <laughs> this morning she was begging, Dad, give me a banana, give me a banana, give me a banana, give me a banana. I said, sweetheart, I'll give you some, a banana, but you got to eat some eggs first. She didn't want eggs, she wanted a banana, but I knew if she ate a banana, she'd be losing her mind in kids today. She needed some protein. God loves us enough to not always give us what we want, but he always gives us what we need. And listen to this. If you knew what God knows, you would always want what he gives you. Let me say that again. If you knew what God knows, you would always want what he gives you. Because even if it's not good, it will produce good in your life if you are trained by it. 
So if you're going through a hard time, get to, here's some encouragement. God's working in your life, and you may feel like I'm about to give up. God's perfecting you. Why? Because God trains us. And we as fathers are called to train our children. Let me tell you, it's not always easy. It's not always easy. You know, when I was a kid, I remember training and discipline moments. And I remember, I remember as, a, as a kid, I remember moments when my dad would spank us. And he would say something like this, this is, this is harder on me than it is on you. And I'd think, well, let's, let, why don't we trade roles then? I think this is going to be good for both of us. I'll feel good about it. Sounds like you'd feel good about it. Let's just do it. But let me tell you, as a dad now, I can tell you it's not always easy. I can't tell you how many moments that I'm training with my children. I'm going, Jesus, help me. Lord, help me. Jesus, help me. I don't, help me not mess this child up. Help me. Give me wisdom. Give me wisdom to know when to be strong. Give me wisdom to know when to be soft. Parents, you know what I'm talking about? God will help us. God will give us wisdom. But he loves us enough that he's training us. Likewise, we're called to train our children. Train up a child in the way they should go. When they're old, they'll not depart from it. So number five, God trains. Number six, I'm going to move quickly. God remains. God remains. I had other words for these, but these rhyme, so I went with it. God remains, God trains, God remains. 2 Timothy 2.13 says that if we are faithless, He remains faithful. He remains faithful. Have you ever had a moment where you've been unfaithful to God? I have. Have you ever had a moment where you said to God, God, I'll never do it again, and you did? I have. Have you ever had a moment where you've not been as, as faithful to God as you should have been? I have. But the good news is this, that through Jesus, our relationship's not dependent on my performance. It's dependent on his performance. On the cross, he solidified once and for all, I'm his child. And even when I don't act like it, even when other people may think, I'm not sure you are his child, he says, you're my child. Even when we're faithless, he remains faithful. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. We live in a culture that loves convenience and comfort. And when the going gets tough, the uh, people get going, right? Uh, if things are difficult, I, I, you know what? I didn't sign up for this. Uh, I'm going to leave, but that's not God. God is faithful. Likewise, we as men, let me encourage you, and I, I'm not saying this as a correction. You're already doing this. I'm saying it as a reaffirmation. Be faithful. Be faithful because God is faithful to us. Be faithful to your wife. Be faithful to your children. So many times we can look at the world's definition of success, which oftentimes is about being famous, rather than being faithful. I like what one pastor said, I, I, I want to be famous in my own home. I want to be famous in my own home. Who cares about followers? on social media. Who cares about fans? I'm not saying we shouldn't influence people, but at the end of the day, the ones that we pour our life into, specifically our, our family and children and spiritual children, they are the ones that matter the most. And our constants in their lives will give them confidence. We should be the same. We should be like God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't one day say, we're going to serve God. Then the next day say, well, we're not really into that. We're going to do something else. Be faithful. The Bible says this, a faithful man, who can find? 
In other words, it's a rarity. Each proclaims his own goodness. Number seven is this. Not only does God remain, but number seven, I want you to see this. God receives. God receives. Kendall, worship team, you guys can come back up. God receives. I love the story that Jesus tells when he is looking for a description of what God's like. And the Bible says that Jesus is the perfect reflection of the Father. I used to think that, you know, God the Father was kind of grumpy and mean, and, you know, Jesus was kind of the nice, progressive, easygoing, uh, you know, vegan version of the Father. You know what I'm saying? But the Bible says this, when you've seen the Father, you've seen, or when you've seen the Son, you've seen the Father. And Jesus, when he was wanting to reveal to the world what the Father was like, he tells this story, the story that's come to be called the story of the prodigal son. And it's the story of two brothers, and one of the brothers, the younger brother, asks his father for an inheritance, his inheritance early, which is basically saying, I wish you were dead. Can I go ahead and get my inheritance so I can go enjoy my life? I, I don't, I don't care about you. I just want what you give me. The Bible says that he took his inheritance and he went away into a foreign land. And there he lived a prodigal life. He wasted his wealth. He lived with no restraints. He lived according to his lowest desires. But the Bible says that there was a moment that came after he had wasted all of his wealth that he found himself, he's eating pig slop. And for a Jewish boy, that was the lowest of lows. He said, how did I get here? How did I get here? What have I done to my life? Ruined my life. What have I done? The Bible says it was at that moment that he came to himself. He came to himself. He had a, a, an awakening moment. He said, I had it better in my father's house. I never wanted his fathering, but... But now I see I had it better in my father's house. I'm going to go back to my father. I could never be a son again. I'll never have what I've lost. But maybe I could be a servant. Maybe I could be a servant. The Bible says that he was thinking through as he walked back to his house, that familiar road, probably thinking of the times that he walked with his father's hand in his as a child. He thought about all his mistakes. The Bible says that his father was waiting outside and he saw him a long way off. And while the son was still far off, the father came running to him. At that time, for a man, especially an older man, to run was a total sign of humility, a total embarrassment. But the father didn't love because he's saying, that's my son. That's my son, and I want you to know, regardless of what you have done, regardless of the mistakes that you have made and will make, I want you to know your father's posture towards you is not this. Your father's posture towards you is this. I love you. I love you. Man, woman, boy, girl, I love you. I love you. That's the heart of the father. And I know today, even as we hear this message on fathering, I know this can be perhaps a difficult message for some. I know perhaps for some of us, maybe even hearing 
this thought of God as Father, maybe it feels like a trigger to you because you feel like I've already had one dad. I don't need another. He's, I've already been hurt enough. I don't need another. I, I, I believe this today. God wants to wrap his arms around you. God wants to be a father to you. God wants to hold you. He wants to comfort you. He wants to bless you. He wants to provide for you. God's plan for your life is good. Maybe for some of us today, maybe our relationship with our natural father is complicated or maybe maybe we're frustrated because we want to have kids or maybe we have kids and it's not what we want it to be. I want you to understand this, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you have the potential to impart life to others. You have the potential to speak destiny, whether they're your natural children or not. I think about Christian Alvarado, who is, although he's not too, too much younger than me, not old enough, young enough to be my son in the natural, got saved in this room because I gave an appeal and he responded and his life has been transformed. And I want you to know every one of you has the potential to be a father, to speak life. I want to ask you if you would just to stand to your feet this morning. I'm going to dismiss in just a few minutes, but I believe God wants to minister to us today. Can we just lift our hands in front of us? Would you just put your hands in front of you? This is a posture of receiving. This is a posture, even as God is running to you today, God is wanting to put his goodness upon our lives. I, I, I believe today God wants to pour out his spirit. As the Bible says, he's poured out his spirit by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Maybe you've never seen God as your father. I believe today God can cause you to come alive to him, to cause you to have a new birth as his child. Perhaps you've never seen yourself as a father. I believe today through the Holy Spirit, you can come alive and awake to a new purpose. And so, Father, we pray today, Lord, that there would be a manifestation of your spirit in our hearts today. God, I pray specifically for every man in this place. God, I thank you for the fathering heart that you have given to us, the, the fathering potential. If you're by maybe a husband or father, family member, I want to ask you, or even just by a, a man, if you feel comfortable, would you just put your hand on their shoulder? And we want to speak blessing today. We want to speak blessing today over these men. If you're by a man who is perhaps your father, perhaps your husband, Father, we pray, God, that there would be an outpouring of your spirit. Father, we pray that you would, Lord, put a new grace upon us. Father, we pray today that through the Holy Spirit, God, there would be an awakening in our hearts to the call, the purpose, the destiny that you have put upon us. Lord, I thank you for the, these men, men of God. Thank you, Lord, that they reflect your character and your nature. And God, I pray that you would cause us to rise up as men, God, to take hold of the calling, the destiny that we have as fathers, perhaps natural fathers or spiritual fathers. But Lord, let us be men that reflect your nature, I pray. Thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, let's just worship the Lord. You continue to pray.